What is going on? Welcome back to the show. Today, I am joined by Aaron Straker. Aaron, thank you for being here, man. Thank you for having me. Of course, it's my pleasure. So for the listeners who might not know, I want to dive into your backstory in just a bit here. But first, can you just give us a brief background on who you are, what you're up to right now? Yeah, so uh, my name is Aaron Straker. I'm uh, 32 years old right now, living, staying in Playa del Carmen, Mexico. I'm a primary sports nutritionist. um, And then with that, I'm a nutrition coach, educator, uh, and working with clients in my nutrition coaching education lifestyle and training program that I call the Metabolic Performance Protocol. That's really just delivering transformations and a ton of education and uh, background on sports nutrition, uh, objective nutrition, and, you know, sustainable training and, uh, and lifestyle factor improvements to really just be healthy, look healthy, feel good, um, and know how to repeat that. I love it, man. I love it. So I want to have you on one. I think it was, so Brian Borstein is someone who's been on the podcast a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I found you through him. I think you guys were like lifting in his basement together or something. And when, yeah. when you see a dude that's more jacked than you, you got to follow them, see what they're up to and whatnot. So um, I, I love your content though, man. And since then, like diving into you guys' podcast together, your story really resonated with me. It's somewhat like similar. Um, like I know that I was listening to you guys' episode, your intro episode yesterday, and you guys just talking about like slamming beers and then going and trying to train and getting in great shape throughout college. Cracked me up because it's so relatable. But I wanted to dive into your backstory a little bit, man. First and foremost, what got you into coaching? Like, what got you where you are today? Yeah, so mine is actually really, really interesting. And I got into coaching through, like, a very roundabout, uh, not really straightforward way. So before I really knew anything about nutrition, I had already been lifting for, like, 10 years, you know. Right. Um, so I started in high school uh, playing football, you know, and then in the off season they would make us lift. Uh, and then that got me into, like, powerlifting and stuff back in high school, even though I didn't even know I was powerlifting um, because they just called it like, Oh, we're just lifting and we go to lifting competitions. I thought, you know, every high school football player in America did this. (laughs) Um, So that, you know, that kind of took me through college. And then I just kind of, I like to stay active, uh, especially when like football went away and other sports went away. I would play some intramurals, but like lifting was always there. And then after college, uh, I moved across the country and was really just kind of burnt out on like, like the, the gold's gym, 24 hour fitness type, you know, gym environment, the college gym environment was just very demotivating for me. I didn't have any like training partners and I was just really burnt out on it. And that is right when, you know, CrossFit was getting outside that kind of, you know, NorCal niche. And I found myself in Southern California in 2011 when, uh, when CrossFit was really, you know, just kind of hitting. So found myself in that and then went super deep into that for a long time. And then eventually just ran myself into the ground. And uh, the thing that really kind of slowed me down, started getting me to pay attention to my nutrition was a, was an Achilles rupture. So, you know, chow training, I wasn't doing anything cause I was in a cast and started reading books. I was like, I have all this time. I'm going to read books. I had a friend who had just kind of started getting into like uh, nutrition coaching through like hiring a coach for herself. And she was one of the, the coaches at the gym and, you know, just started having conversations with her. And then she like passed me a couple books to read. And this was right around the time that first Renaissance periodization book came out back in like 2013, early 2014. And I read that and I was like, oh my God, all these things that I thought to be truths aren't necessarily truths. It's just, I've only been listening to one information source. And that kind of really opened my eyes. And then I would, you know, just play around with my nutrition on my own. It was kind of like a, a big hobby because I wanted to like recover from my injury. I wanted to go to regionals. That was like a a big goal of mine, you know, super motivated coming out of that injury. And then I would, that same coach, you know, who had helped me, she started uh, nutrition coaching. And then I helped her with some of her business stuff. Cause I was still, uh, I still had my software gig and career back then. And then just through like meeting with her and then we'd have like conversations. And I realized like, I thought, you know, because I was really into like CrossFit at the time and lifting and there's like nutrition was a part of that. And, you know, looking the part and taking care of my body that everyone was like that. And it wasn't until like me seeing all these, you know, inquiries that came into her, how little people actually knew about their nutrition. So I was kind of um, uh, naive, I guess, thinking that everyone, because they were training, they were, you know, kind of tying the other piece of the nutrition and lifestyle to it. And people really weren't. So I just kind of kept going deeper down the rabbit hole, learning more about it, getting different certs. Uh, I got my licensure, my licensure, and then 
you know, started helping some friends out, family, and then it just became this thing that I just really liked doing so much. And uh, I was very uh, disengaged in my software job. You know, I'd taken it to basically as far as I was willing to input into that. And then I said, you know, this is what I want to do. This is so much more rewarding. This is how I want to live my lifestyle. I want to help other people, you know, benefit in all the ways that I've been able to benefit from living my lifestyle like this and learning. And it just kind of, you know, started started rolling that ball down the hill, picked up some steam, picked up momentum, and now it's just rolling full bore. Oh, oh, I love it. Um, a lot to unpack there. I know that very similar to where you're coming from, like for me for the longest time, like through college and even like the start of my career as a personal trainer, I didn't like understand nutrition at all. It was kind of like, I want to make sure I eat a shit ton of protein. And that's pretty much as deep as I take it, right? So I'm going to eat a double cottage cheese every night before I go to bed and I'm going to drink a lot of protein shakes and make sure I have a lot of protein in every meal. But then like I know for me, one thing that, so I separated my AC joint and then for me, it was like past that point, I just gained a lot of weight and everything like seemed to change. I had no idea like, okay, what, how do I change my body? And, like originally for me, it was like a super low carb diet that was the thing. So then I thought like, okay, this is the thing for everyone. And then similar to like what you're saying, but that like then it wasn't working for any of my clients because for most people it's just so hard to adhere to. And then similar to what you're saying with like finding RP, I know for me it was uh, Eric Helms, like the muscle and strength, his, the actual like YouTube videos where he draws it up on a whiteboard. For me, that was a thing. It was like, this is crazy. dude. <laughs> like this is completely changing how I see everything. So it's, it's cool to hear like people's evolutions through that as well. So for you then, it sounds like you took a pretty hard turn to from, okay, I'm in love with almost exclusively training to I'm gonna help a lot of people with nutrition. And then until very recently, you were almost exclusively coaching nutrition. Can you can you speak to that a little bit? Why that is that you went so hard in the direction of nutrition when it sounds like training was your first love? Yeah, I have a very good reason for it. So two reasons. I was afraid at first of taking something I loved and then making it my income and then ended up despising it when it became, you know, uh, an income thing and not something, not like a, just a pure joy type of thing. So that was first, it was a fear. And second was when I sat there and I thought, okay, cause at first I was like, Oh, I'm going to, you know, I wanted to, I wanted like a side project thing. And I was like, I'm going to start writing training programs. Right. But then, so at the time, you know, and this is how I know Brian. I was a longtime member at Brian's uh, CrossFit gym in San Diego. And I'm like, well, everyone I know that does that already knows so much more than me. So I was like, why would anyone come to me when we have Brian, we have Anders, you know what I mean? All these people who know much more, but I, you know, so I was like, you know what, 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 what do I know that is going to be more impactful, right? I can help people train differently and maybe get like, you know, an extra five, 7%, you know, uh, increase on, on what they're already doing. I'm like, or, I can go, we can go really deep in the nutrition and get 20, 25, 30%, you know, uh, better results. So it was one of those things that, you know, I had always trained so hard and, and put so much into it. And then once I started like increasing the amount of detail I paid to my nutrition, it just produced results hand over fist of what that same amount of time and effort and energy spent in the training would do. So the example I always use is like, I can take two people or I can take the same person, right? I can put them on the best training program in the world and put them on like, you know, a, a whatever nutrition, they're not really paying attention. They'll make progress, right? I can take that same person, put them on some like, you know, middle of the mall type nutrition or training program and like super, super dial in their nutrition and they're gonna look like a rock star. So it's one of those things, it's like, it's people have, because we don't learn anything about it and it's not, nutrition's not sexy. Uh, sleeping eight hours per night isn't sexy, you know, um, you know, um, identifying the consequences of your alcohol habits like isn't sexy but like training is you know it's sexy you get that pump you can take sweet photos or whatever but it's like oh here's me you know eating my protein hitting my macros and going to sleep at 9 30 like that's not sexy but at the end of the day like that's what produces the real tangible changes um that are you know almost equivocally across the board everyone can achieve in that regard so once i kind of realized that i was like this is the game changer um and especially being, you know, a male, right. And at the time I was in my like, you know, late to mid, mid to late twenties, it's something that a lot of people weren't speaking about. Right. Or it, it wasn't, it's people weren't speaking about it as a high level. They're like, Oh yeah, you know, bro, train hard and eat clean. And I'm like, uh, it's like a, it's like the most you're scratching the surface, you know, there's so much more to it than that. So I was like, this is something that 
um, I really want to go deep into and then show people how, you know, much change you can make. And not just from what's on the outside, right? You see the physique, you see abs lean, but like, you know, your, your ability to recover from training sessions is dramatically, you know, improved, which allows you to increase the volume of your training. If that's something you want to do, uh, immunity, like all these other things that benefit so much from once you start paying attention to nutrition and lifestyle. And I really wanted to kind of bring that to the forefront and, make that sexy for people. I love it, man. Uh, again, super relatable. I know like with client results that exactly what you're saying there. Like when I was just the trainer for the longest time that, yeah, I'm going to take someone through great training. Like why are my clients getting results? Why are my clients getting results? I think like from a coaching perspective, unless your client is working with someone else that's doing their nutrition coach, you know, where they have a very good handle on it. You can, like you said, you can give someone the best training program in the world. But if their nutrition isn't on point, they're not going to get the physique transformation that they want. Whereas nutrition is just such a big piece of this. And it sounds like we took relatively similar routes. Like I know for the longest time, we very much like, or I very much like same thing, nutrition, 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 because I'm not the most jacked person in the world. I love training. Training is absolutely my first love, but I feel like nutrition is like this thing that still not very many people are like talking about or are actually that knowledgeable about where you can just make such a massive amount of difference in someone's life if you educate them around nutrition. Whereas like, I, again, I love training, but I don't think you can like make as much of a difference with just a smart training program. No. Cause it's, I mean, the same thing with the, like, I'm sure we might make it into this, but like, you know, creating a 500 calorie deficit from like, you know, cardio or something like that. Like that's a, that's an effort, you know, that's time. You're not doing that in 10 minutes on a treadmill or something like that. Like that is a long time energy sweat commitment, or you can be like, Hey, stop putting milk and, you know, sugar and creamer and all these things. Stop drinking a 500 calorie coffee in the morning. And then you don't have to go on the treadmill later. So it's one of those things. It's, you can turn the dial a little bit on the nutrition side and get the same effect as like, you know, turning the dial a lot on the, like, you know, training or you know calorie expenditure side oh exactly man and that's how that's how i typically would frame it for clients it's like you can either invest a lot more time by like trying to burn so many more calories or we can just manipulate these simple things with your nutrition and you can get that same outcome but with a lot less time investment and time is the thing that most people are so short on so i, I love it um cool man let's dive into then nutrition for hypertrophy which is going to be i'm guessing will be somewhat nuanced i think that from my perspective as well people sometimes take we have like these over overruling principles but even just like okay it's all about calories or things like that i think people will sometimes take too far especially when it comes to like a hypertrophy setting so I'd love to nerd out a bit and kind of riff back and forth as far as when we're talking nutrition for hypertrophy specifically, what do you think are kind of the most common things people are overlooking or people are missing when it's, Hey, my goal is hundred percent to build muscle. Yeah. So one thing, you know, that I like to do, and um, I'm sure we'll take this conversation. I'm like very nuanced and contextual dependent on the conversations I like to have because I feel like that is the sweet spot, right? Right. People speak in generalizations and that's how you end up with your like, you know, your Instagram, um, you know, uh, explore feed posts that are like lacking context and just misleading people. So in terms of like nutrition for hypertrophy, the first thing is like, you're going to have to be, you don't have to be, you're going to have to at least be at maintenance calories. Um, assuming, you know, uh, the context of this conversation is for, you know, natural people, people not on performance enhancing drugs. So you're going to have to be uh, at maintenance at least. If you want to make progress faster, you're going to want to be in a caloric surplus. That's going to be the, how deep you go into that caloric surplus is going to be dependent upon, you know, whether you're advanced, whether you're intermediate, whether you're a beginner. So another thing you want to keep in mind is like how afraid or okay with you are putting on, you know, an appreciable amount of body fat. So for someone who's, you know, a beginner, let's say you're 18 years old, 19, 20 years old, and you're like a hundred and you're like skin and bones, right? And you're like, I want to get into lifting. Like you're going to be able to eat like a 20% surplus. You're not going to put on that much weight because you have so much muscle you can still gain before reaching, you know, nearing your uh, kind of genetic 
potential where you're, you know, those, those gains are going to really slow down. Your margins are going to get smaller. But if you're someone who's been training for 10 years already, you know, that same 20% surplus over maintenance, you're just going to accumulate fat a little bit faster because it's not as easy to build muscle as when you were starting. So it's right. like kind of like the first thing is like, well, how far is that surplus going to go and how like, okay, or how willing are you to be okay with putting on an appreciable amount of body fat? So I think that's like kind of step one. So to interject there real quick, I would say just because I know the listener of this podcast pretty well, we could almost, and I'm sure the context for you will be valuable as well. We could say probably that like have a beginner recomp is probably not going to be something on the table. Like it's going to have to, be, like you mentioned, you're going to have to be at maintenance or a slight surplus. You probably, they've probably already been training for at least a couple of years. So we can assume like, all right, I get it. Like, I'm not going to lose a lot of fat and build a bunch of muscle at the same time. I need to go all in on one direction or the other, not necessarily like all in, like I need to gain a huge amount of weight, but I need to choose a direction. Okay, cool. Now I want to know how to, how do I optimize the shit out of what I'm doing my nutrition to get the best result? Got it. What? So, I mean, coming down from, from calories, right. Which is like your step one macronutrient distribution uh, is another one. So, generally I'm going to want to first establish, you know, protein range for someone. Um, I really don't like to go lower than body weight. And let's assume that uh, we're talking about someone who's 20% body fat or leaner and even better in like the 15 to 17% on the top end past that. Like if you're starting and you're at like 23, 25% or something like that, it's probably going to be in your best interest to get down into the teens before you want to like, actively try and build a bunch of bunch of muscle because from a hormonal standpoint and from like a partitioning ratio, um, meaning like for how much, you know, for, for every, you know, pound of weight or any given, given quantity of weight, the ratio of, you know, lean mass to fat mass, if you're already at like the 23, you know, 22%, it's, let's just say it's not the, the numbers aren't in your favor, unfortunately. So assuming someone's like, you know, 10 to 17% body fat and they want to increase, um, I'd like to do at least body weight and protein. Um, there's a big kind of argument that people will make there about, you know, eating more than one pound per body weight is like superfluous or it's not needed. I wouldn't say that it's just the rate at which it, the, the your, your margins get much smaller past that one per past that one gram per pound of body weight. So even up to like 1.5, which is obviously a lot more protein, you know, going from like 0.8 per pound of body weight up to one is going to be like a pretty decent increase going from like one to 1.5, you know, your rate of muscle protein synthesis is going to be significantly less. However, given the context we're trying, we're, we're trying to talk about maximizing hypertrophy. Yeah. It's going to be beneficial to eat more. Um, so the kind of reason for that too, is those calories have to come from somewhere, Right. So let's say that uh, for, for really a basic example, say you need to eat 3000 calories, that's your 5% surplus, 7.5% surplus or something like that. Um, instead of, you know, spending that extra calories on fat or carbohydrate, like maximizing that muscle protein synthesis uh, kind of figure from protein is going to be beneficial. Um, we're not, you know, I'll get into like distribution of how many meals and stuff later, but let's just talk about macros at first. So it's going to be more beneficial to do that. Uh, secondly, coming from carbohydrate, right? Uh, carbohydrate is going to be more beneficial for hypertrophy than uh, spending more of that ratio coming from fat calories, specifically being because um, of what carbohydrate does with insulin, right? So carbohydrate is going to increase your insulin response, which is then going to drive nutrients into the muscles, especially after you just trained um, to storage hormone, right? So it's going to help you store more hopefully in those muscle cells uh, as glycogen, you can also store some of that as you're in your liver as well. Uh, the biggest kind of part it comes down to is storing and you want to avoid storing these extra calories as fat, right? So there is some amount of body fat that you will need to put on to increase your muscle mass. It's think about it as a cost of playing the game, but protein and carbohydrate are going to afford you less fat mass when equating calories to fat. Um, one of the biggest reasons for this is the thermic effect of feeding. So it's uh, costly, energy costly conversion process to convert protein. 
um, into one carbohydrate and then from carbohydrate into fat. Dietary fat is already, you know, almost identical to the, to the type of the way we store it. Right. So our body will just kind of chop off, um, some of the, some of the chain, and then it's already ready to be stored dietary fat, uh, carbohydrate and, you know, uh, protein will have to go through processes to make it, uh, available in the form to do that. It's all energy currency type stuff. So in that regard, you know, going with a higher protein intake, going with a higher carbohydrate intake are going to be beneficial just from a pure number standpoint, not alone, you know, getting into supplying yourself like a me, uh, uh, ample amino acid pool, um, uh, nutrients to kind of uh, supply the, the muscles with, you know, ample, uh, basically building blocks to build new muscle, repair muscle, and then for the carbohydrate, uh, fueling those processes as well. So like muscle building is an energy intensive process. You need to fuel it from something. Protein isn't a fuel source. Protein is like a repair and rebuilding. Um, carbohydrate, they're going to be better at fueling that process of creating muscle. And then, you know, coming lastly with fat, we need fat. Fat is essential for our survival. Um, for, you know, one of the main reasons is it's, you know, it gives us some, um, cushioning between our organs, cushioning between our brain, things like that. So essential parts of it are necessary. And it's also a precursor for cholesterol, right? And then our cholesterol is a precursor for our hormones. So you have like a baseline of fat you want to, or you need to eat, right? Just to make sure you're healthy and you're covering your bases in that standpoint, but then moving kind of, you know, super far North of that or fueling your, your, um, hypertrophy, from fat is it's just not going to work as beneficial as your protein or your carbohydrate and there's lots of you know overfeeding studies that we can kind of talk about uh, if you want to that will kind of reaffirm that as well yeah i know working through mac nutrition one of the just recently one of the studies and i can't say i wish i could actually study the exact study because that make me sound super smart but i can't <laughs> but i know that they talked about one of the studies they dove into very similar to what you're saying there i'm trying to remember the ex i keep trying to remember the name of the process of carbohydrate basically being converted to triglycerides and then being stored as fat but it's a much you know, more it's de novo like there we go there we go um, like you're saying like that and protein both like a much more energy expensive process. And I know like even again, taking it back to the study, like what they showed was, was, uh, it was a massive amount of carbohydrate overfeed. I'm doing a terrible job referencing the study because they also don't remember the exact amount of like the surplus they made was, but it was basically, basically a very low fat diet where they did overfeed by a good amount of carbs, but the fat stored was so much less than you'd expect to me, because again, like. To me, that was super interesting. It is very, because I almost feel like, I think the industry has somewhat shifted to like, and I this paleo, like the paleo movement could be a big part of this, but it's almost like the healthy fats are the movement. Like, okay, I gotta have my olive oils. I gotta have my almonds and my grass fed butter. But people kind of naturally trend towards like a, it seems at least like health seeking individuals kind of trend towards a, lower carb, higher fat diet. I know like a lot of coaches who come on board who are struggling with what we're talking about here. That's like one of the first shifts we make is like, right, we actually kind of want to flip this ratio if you're trying to get the best muscle building results possible. Yeah. Context is everything. Um, when you really want to get into the details and I think going with that statement with context. So a lot of like your, like your step one, you know, the first thing kind of trainers will get into, or, you know, your gen pop, um, is especially like us, right. Coming from America, right. We're not talking about like carbohydrates is like slamming Mountain Dew and fucking Skittles and stuff I'm like okay, rices, oats, these sorts of things. You can eat so much more food in terms of volume and, you know, calories, uh, as opposed to like, if you're going with like, you know, nothing, nothing against any like oils, but like, you know, 400 calories of olive oil is like not a lot. It's not a lot of, you know, uh, liquid to put in your body. 400 calories of like oats or rice, like you're going to know you're eating uh, a significant portion. So that's where the, the dichotomy between carbohydrate and fat is, is just the volume you can afford to eat given an isocaloric amount of calories. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then to take it back to protein quickly, is there then, is there a general cap that you would put on protein pass? Because it sounds like, hey, one gram per pound of body weight is typically going to be the floor. Is there a ceiling that you like to cap that at? 
Yeah, I generally won't take anyone over 1.5. Um, the, the reason being is it gets kind of unrealistic to eat that much, you know? So um, it, it, like given, you know, um, like a 200 pound person, right? 1.5 is like 300 grams of protein. Right. Um, I've been there before and it's miserable. <laughs> you know, it's, unless you're going to do like, two, three scoop protein shakes per day, which is like, you're kind of cheating the system at that point. Right. right. Um, it's just a, it's a lot from like an environmental standpoint, you know, with meat or whatever you have to eat, or if you like, you know, say you don't want to go the meat route, the amount of carbohydrate and fat you need to eat to accompany those higher protein levels, they're exorbitant. And then the whole, the, the benefits you would get of the higher protein kind of fall by the wayside because your carbohydrates and your, your fats are well into the 100s. Your carbohydrates are probably up in the like sixes, um, like 600s, I mean, and based you know on, on that individual, unless you're like a shredded 235, 240 pound guy, it's, it's just unrealistic to eat that much um, or, or for any, it's not even needed really. Right. So uh, I, there are, I'm sure some kind of context where it would might be necessary let's say someone has like really poor blood glucose tolerance and you can't take their carbohydrate that high um, from like a blood sugar level so i mean you push the protein really high knowing that it, you're going to convert some to a, to a glucose via gluconeogenesis but it's probably still safer than you know just sending carbohydrate i'm sure there's some context so like i really try not to speak in absolutes but um it's very very unlikely that it's necessary Okay. And that's the important thing for the listener to remember as well. Like none of this is an exact prescription. It's like you doing your best and me doing my best to make sure people understand the context, but still, this is all basically generalities. And I, I, I'd, I'd very much agree, man. I feel like past, I can think of one client that I have around 1.5 grams. Typically I like to like, similar to what you said, we're going to be around one gram per pound of body weight to start. And then I think as we, as we drive up carbs, and there's going to be more like trace proteins coming from your grains, your oats, et cetera. Okay. It's probably a good idea to bump protein a little bit more to make up for these lower quality amino acids that come in as well. But like, even like that, like getting up to like 1.5, typically that'll be, so like this client I'm thinking of right now, like for her to stay within the desired rate of gain, even then, and she's built, she's built a good amount of muscle. We've been building for about a year now. Um, but she just seems to genetically have a higher appetite. So we keep protein higher to help keep her satiated. And I think that's like, but the context of it, again, I feel like it's like such a nuanced thing. Yeah. I like if when you started with her, if you were like, okay, here we go. Day one, 1.5 grams of right. protein for body weight. Right. Be like, what, what the hell? But it's one of those things is like, if you're doing it little by little over said, over you said like a year and your, you know, metabolism's kind of adjusting your, your hunger cues are kind of adjusting. You can find yourself there. Um, but I think like, you know, unless someone, it's unlikely that you're going to start that high. More right, than that right. High. No, for sure. Cool, cool. So as far as it sounded like you were essentially wrapping up your thoughts on macros, was there anything else you wanted to add there? I apologize. I interrupted that thought. No, not really. Uh, one thing I will say is the quality of your macros definitely matters. So uh, something that I, I will say with uh, all of my clients when we start like week one is it's more than just macros, right? Macros are a or an, an objective way for me to communicate to you, hey, I would like you to eat this much for this given time period. Um, underneath that, your micronutrient distribution and the quality of those macronutrients are incredibly important. Um, if you think you're going to drink your protein, drink nothing but protein shakes and eat Skittles for your carbs to hit your uh, numbers, um, you're going to be in for a rude awakening when you're pooping rocks and wondering <laughs> why you feel so crappy. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So then past that, is there, so basically we're taking it through, okay, we have like macros. These are about the targets we want to aim for. As far as food quality, do you think any more nuance needs to be added to that? Or do you feel like when we're talking about this hypertrophy specific conversation, or do you, are you more or less, Hey, like mostly let's try to eat whole foods and a little bit of flexibility here and there. Yeah, one thing there um, that's important to, to understand is because hypertrophy, right, is going to require a caloric surplus 
and it's going, I mean, let's face it, you're probably going to be in a caloric surplus more than eight weeks, maybe more than 12 weeks, depending on how much you're going to do. It's a lot of food for your um, digestive tract to digest and assimilate. And over time, it can kind of take its toll on your digestive tract. So something that a lot of people may not understand or be even aware of is you can have like varying levels of um, like intolerances to certain ingredients or foods. Um, so let's say um, maybe you have like a very minor intolerance to sweet potatoes. So you have sweet potatoes at a restaurant on like Friday night, and then you don't have sweet potatoes again for like another two weeks. You may not notice you have that intolerance. If you start having sweet potatoes every single day, um, maybe you notice that you're like a little bit gassy or something like that. And then if you start having sweet potatoes like every single day for like lunch, lunch two, and then dinner, all of a sudden, like, you're, I mean, you're a farting mess, your stomach's like rock hard and bloated. So some of these foods you have, like, um, just because you have it once, you might be okay. But then once some of that, that, you know, whatever part of the, that specific food you do have that intolerance to builds to a threshold, that's when it might start manifesting itself in different like GI discomfort or, so it's not just like a, uh, a zero, it's not, it's not an on or off. There's thresholds with different things. And because, you know, requiring uh, hypertrophy is going to require dedicated eating at a higher amount for a longer time, that's something to really take into consideration. You want to make sure your GI is um, happy. You want to make sure your digestion, your digestion is as smooth as possible. And, you know, we can talk about some things that can help in that regard too, if you want to go down that route. Oh, absolutely. I think that would be super helpful because I think that this is the point of the conversation where people normally stop people don't normally go deeper. So I'd love to yeah. that basically cool. digest, better absorb things, et cetera. Yeah. So there's a couple different things. So it depends on kind of how you feel. So something that I will kind of generally help people with or recommend they look into if they want to do some more of their own research are some digestive enzymes. So you can get kind of like a broad spectrum digestive enzyme, which is going to have like your protease, um, your lipase, amylase, different uh, enzymes that are going to help you break down your food. Uh, another thing you can get is like a, a betaine hydrochloric, which helps kind of bolster your um, own endogenous production of your hydrochloric acid in your stomach, which is your stomach acid. That's like the technical term for your, your stomach acid to help make sure that, you know, by the time the food's getting into your small intestine, it's broken down at a level that it should be towards basically just your, your nutrients that then get absorbed through the, you know, the, the, the gut mucosa and the gut lining. Um, and distributed, you know, through, through your body. So that's kind of like a, a, a starting part. It will help you in that regard. Some other things that you can do, um, like if hunger is really not quite there, or you are trying to kind of ramp it up a little bit so that it does meet, there's some things you can do like a, like a berberin will help kind of move food through you and it'll help kind of keep your blood sugars a little bit lower while you're doing it. Um, if you do want to go down that route, I would recommend testing your blood sugars, uh, seeing where they're at before you, you do that. Cause you can send yourself hypo there and that wouldn't be any fun. Um, that's generally kind of where I would start with paying attention to kind of helping food move through you. If your stomach is at a place where your digestion's already not that good at maintenance calories, going into a surplus is only going to exacerbate those issues. So you probably want to get that under control to start. So maybe kind of going through like some probiotic um, protocol or really doing some kind of a, a small amount of an elimination diet to figure out what some of those trigger foods might be. Um, I find more often than not people that are having kind of digestive issues are kind of unknowingly frequently consuming, you know, a food or multiple foods that their body just doesn't agree with too much. And then uh, that's a, a large portion of it too. So before you start, make sure digestion is smooth and good. Your bowel movements and everything are consistent and you're on like a consistent routine because once you start putting, you know, more food in, in the, uh, in the process and you, and you have, and you're putting more work on your body, any kind of small issues you do have are only going to get bigger. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, man. And again, I think that's something that people don't touch on very often when we're talking about going into a building phase. I think typically it's just put out there like, Hey, eating more is good. Try to avoid spending time on a calorie deficit. But then again, like there's so much, like it's almost always, if you're having digestive issues, like it's going to be magnified if, as we start feeding more and like a, similar to what you were talking about there as well. Like sometimes it will even be a challenge to, and this is very client dependent, I would say, but I think once you go through like, okay, I'm tracking my intake, I'm hitting, like, as you said, like, 
this higher amount of carbohydrates, we're assuming as a client, they can like keep that a bit lower, carbs are a little bit higher. It is a, a lot more of a challenge to, and I think that's kind of a weird, almost a mindset switch for so many people as well. Like if you had a client that hops on board, hey, we get lean, and now we're going through a building phase, but like so much of your food selection is different now. Like as you mentioned earlier, like, okay, we're not gonna cook this in eight tablespoons of olive oil. And again, absolutely nothing wrong with olive oil, but like it's gonna help us control the calories. Then it does get to the point where like, getting this volume of food in is relatively challenging. So I would ask finally for for a client that is struggling with the appetite a bit more to like, hey, how do I hit these targets? Do you have any general suggestions as far as like, okay, here's some general things we can do. Typically, like if you're struggling here, your calorie needs to add in to make that easier. Yeah. The first thing I generally recommend doing is increasing your meal frequency. So if you're only eating three meals per day, going to four, five, six is definitely going to help you out. It's much, you'll, what you'll find is like, let's say you're eating, you know, this traditional breakfast, lunch, dinner. Um, let's, let's also say you're doing five or sorry, not 5,000, 3000 calories a day. So if you're doing a thousand calorie breakfast, thousand calorie lunch, thousand calorie dinner, um, those are massive meals, right? That's going to bog down your digestion. You probably might get a little bit gassy or something like that. Um, you might still be really full when you go to bed and that's going to impact the quality of your sleep. You know, that it can be kind of a, a negative feedback loop in that regard. Um, going to like, let's say four meals, right? Uh, so you go to four meals divided by four. I should have picked an easier number, right? You know, it's going to be smaller meals, right? And then instead of eating it, you know, 8 a.m., noon, and then like six, you can do like eight, uh, maybe like 11.30, and then you do like a post-workout, right? If you're going to four meals, I always make sure everyone's fourth meal or technically might be the third meal is going to be, you know, immediately post-training or relatively immediately post-training. And that, that doesn't have to be like a chicken, rice, and, you know, vegetables. That can be a protein shake, a banana, rice cakes. And then if we need to get some fat in like a handful of nuts or something like that. Right. So that can be like a, like a cheater meal in terms of, uh, the, the, how, how easy it is to put together or even up to five. And you'll find that your digestion will be much smoother. Um, your energy levels will be smoother too, because of course, what we talked about with, with, you know, gaining, you have to eat a lot more carbohydrate. If you're doing 3000 calories, I mean, let's, let's say your carbs are at 400 or something like that, maybe 450 and you're only doing three meals, you're doing 125, 140, you know, carbs right. per meal. It's gonna, it's gonna put a, a shit ton of carbohydrate, right? Into your blood, right? And then a bunch of glucose is in your blood. Your pancreas is gonna have to pump out a bunch of insulin, insulin to, to kind of uh, seat and distribute that. And then you're gonna have these like peaks and valleys with your blood sugars, right? It's gonna impact your energy levels. Um, so moving to a more frequent food, you know, frequencies is going to kind of help even those out a little bit, which will help with your energy swings as well. So that's like the first thing I generally recommend doing up to about maybe six meals per day. Um, past that, it kind of gets unrealistic unless you're like, you know, really trying to be a bodybuilder or something like that and really know what you're doing. Um, opting for kind of a little bit more processed type food. So this is kind of the opposite of how, what we would normally say with this conversation or someone who wants to kind of maybe control their body weight or want to lean out a little bit. We want to move away from processed foods to more whole foods. We have a different problem we're trying to solve here. We want to get more calories in and, you know, hunger not being there is up against us. So instead of doing maybe like oats or potatoes, maybe we move a lot of our potatoes to rice, which is going to be lower on the satiety index than potatoes. And then instead of oats, maybe we do something like a cream of wheat. If you handle um, gluten really well, maybe we move to like a cream of rice, which are basically like, you know, rice that's kind of like pulverized into like a, a powder almost. It turns it into like a, like a oatmeal, like think about like baby food type consistency, right? Um, yeah. Adding in some higher, um, like higher, uh, carbohydrate fruits. So like instead of maybe doing berries or something like that, let's move to bananas, which are going to give you a little bit more carbohydrate per volume. So there's kind of specific food selection that you can do that will give you more carbohydrate while equating volume. So for a, you know, let's say in like a, some relationship of volume to hunger. Um, and if we assign some arbitrary number to like a blueberry, it gives you a five, you know, for that same kind of capacity of hunger volume a banana might get you like an eight that's going to be a better option okay okay i like it super applicable man so then when we're diving into nutrient timing 
do you have some general recommendations for that or what does that normally look like for your clients? Yeah. So if we are like in a, in a surplus and really, in really trying to get after it, taking in some sort of glucose or dextrose intra workout is going to be a great idea. Um, the propensity of you storing it as fat while you're training, it's probably pretty low. It's also going to help with um, getting food in, you know, when you're, or sorry, not necessarily food. It's going to be like a liquid, you know, carbohydrate, like a, like a Gatorade or something like that. While you're training is going to be a good idea. Or if you don't want to do it like immediately after it can be, you know, part of it. And then you can get protein from a different set of source. So kind of having your larger carbohydrate meals closer to your training just because of the hormonal changes that take place with training your, you know, you don't have to worry quite as much about the blood sugar um, conversation. You know, if you're having a meal an hour before your training or immediately after training, because you know that when you do train, right, your blood sugars are going to lower because you're going to be using, you know, some of that stored glycogen. And now you're kind of freeing up space from that, that glycogen you are using. So, I mean, a really kind of simple way to think about it is eat your higher carbohydrate meals closer to the time when you train. And then if you do have the luxury where you're not quite at a point yet where all of your meals need to be higher, uh, you know, if you're training, let's say you're training at two in the afternoon, your first meal in the morning um, can be a little bit higher because technically you've just fasted overnight, but then like your final meal or meals can kind of taper down as you get closer to, you know, uh, the last meal of the day. Okay. Okay, cool. Cool. And I, I think as far as training, at least from my perspective, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I think the nutrient timing is somewhat, so I, I talked about the muscle strength pyramids and I think absolutely that's something that's very helpful, but I think that one mistake people sometimes make when going into like, okay, I want to maximize hypertrophy is kind of applying like, okay, my, my calories even out across the end of the week and my macros even out across the end of the week. So I'm good. Right. Whereas I think when we're, when we're going into a building phase, like the, what you do in an acute setting, I would say is almost more important, right? Like how you feel during that training session. Like if you're training at 11 and you got up at six and you haven't eaten yet, we're going to feel like shit. Or like, we know there's not this magical, like one hour post-workout, like window but what you do post-workout is going to be important and that is going to make a difference over time that can add up to a lot of sessions or a lot of not very good sessions and recovery so i think that like one i know like one mistake i feel like i see quite often is people not looking at like the acute setting of like day-to-day what i'm doing so much is like okay across the week like whereas like for fat loss okay i hit my i hit my total calories across the course of the week maybe today it was three thousand today it was one thousand but or like similarly like okay, yes, you hit your macros for the day, but we ate like 2000 of these 2,500 calories from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. Nothing wrong with you at night, but you trained at 6 a.m. Okay, that's probably like, you were probably in a catabolic state most of the day and now recovery is gonna make you quite as good. Do you, do you have any thoughts on that or do you feel like that's pretty similar to where you're coming from? Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. There's like a hierarchy of importance, right? So if you can't, get close to your, so using that same example, let's say we want you to eat 3000 calories per day. Um, If Monday looks like 2000, Tuesday looks like 3,500, Wednesday looks like 2,800. Basically what I'm getting at is if you're jumping all over the place, macronutrient timing like doesn't mean shit. You need to work on your consistency. You need to be like, okay, I'm having four meals. Meal one is going to be, you know, approximately 500 calories. Meal two is going to be approximately 750. Like you need to work on your first steps, right? Assuming you can kind of get, you know, within 90, 95% of your, of your calories totals every single day. Now we're going to take it into macros and making sure we're, those are like dialed past like your traditional standard, like 30, 35, 35, 40, 30, 30, or whatever. Then once you can do that every day, like now we start being like, okay, right. Instead of just splitting everything up equally, let's wait your pre and post workout by like a factor of six. Let's bring down the other two meals down to like a factor of four. It's as you, as you can get more consistent and um, routine with your accuracy, you can kind of stack on implementation details. But if someone can't even get close to their, you know, calories consistently seven days a week, like we're not doing intra workout carbohydrates. We're not weighting carbs. Like you're going back to the basics. So it's like the better you get, 
the more, I guess, challenges we can put on top because you can consistently do what that needs to be underneath. But until you can kind of do steps one, two, and three, all these, you know, the last little part of that conversation we had, like it's, it doesn't mean anything. It's so superfluous because it's not going to provide nearly as much impact or as importance as the first three. And that's a good point too, bringing it back to the hierarchy of importance. Like the overall consistency is such a big piece of this. Um, I do think that one thing people somewhat get twisted is like the amount of like, okay, I'm in a building phase, so I don't need to like be as on point. Whereas it, and then it's like, okay, I'm not, okay, a lot of days I'm just loosely tracking and I might not actually be hitting my calories or I think like the detail still needs to be there. I think it's easier to think like, I don't need to be as focused as I am in a fat loss phase. It's just almost two different things, if that makes sense. It is. And the thing is you can, the thing that's different with, with a bulk, with like a gaining phase or surplus is you can kind of find yourself. And like, this is something that I still even have to check myself with is you can kind of find yourself like being like, Oh, well, I have so many carbs to eat anyway. Like it doesn't matter. I'll just, you know, throw like a four rice cakes on this extra, on this extra meal. And, uh, you know, if I miss a meal, I'll just double up. But when you're eating so much, like the whole kind of thing you want to mitigate is fat gain. So you can kind of find yourself, if you start kind of slipping in the other direction or just like throwing a bunch of carbs at a problem or like drinking a bunch of juice to like make up for a meal or whatever is like after a while, you're just going to kind of put on body fat faster. So, and that can kind of, that's why you mean you, you want to like either take pictures or check in with yourself with like progress photos, whatever, and make sure like, okay, the weight, you know, is increasing, which is in, can be indicative of hypertrophy, you know, but it can also be indicative of like fat gain. And if your fat gain is outpacing, you know, your, your muscle gain at what rate you, you really just kind of want to check in with yourself because it can be a bit of a slippery slope to where you realize you're just kind of getting fatter and right. you're not really getting any bigger. Uh, so you want to keep yourself honest in that regard. Right. Right. And that's not a fun place to end the building phase. Like, Oh yeah, I gained 20 pounds of muscle and then go right back to the exact same way you were before and you don't actually look any different. So that's, yeah, it's, that's like the biggest fear is like, okay, I just spent the last like six months, um, you know, gaining and then you diet down and realize like you just look exactly the way you did before and you just ate all this food and put yourself through all of that for nothing practically. Exactly. <laughs> uh, an experiment, a learning experiment, right? You gained knowledge, right? Experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. What not to do. And I know that from following you, you, I know that you have your clients track quite a few metrics and that's the same thing with us. We're sticklers about tracking all these other metrics of progress along with just weight, just to make sure that you are actually progressing in the right direction. So my final question for you actually would be in a building phase like this, what are the metrics that you're looking for? So like to know that it is going well, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. More like you mentioned, it's not okay. Weight gain is going to be a good sign, but what else are you usually looking at? One big one that I will use with clients when we're eating more is hunger. So if hunger really drops out and you know, a client's like reporting a zero on a hunger and they feel like they're, they're just forcing themselves to get it in. Um, that is kind of like a, like a warning sign for me. Like maybe we're increasing food too quickly. Maybe uh, training volume has decreased. Like maybe we're kind of up against some digestive stuff. So like maybe we do need to get some digestive enzymes in to help kind of move the food through faster. Um, maybe the recovery is kind of dropping, right? Maybe they need a deload is another really one. How is training going? Are you still able to add reps um, in your subsequent training sessions? Are you getting stronger at all? Are you regressing? Regressing is a big one. If you're regressing, okay, that means we're super under recovered. Even all the food that we're doing isn't helping. We maybe need to pull, you know, take a, take two steps back so that we can kind of pause, recollect ourselves, let the body kind of, you know, re reestablish, you know, homeostasis. And then we can kind of try to push again. Maybe we've reached the top end of this, you know, there's always a, a cap on a, a gaining phase before it just turns into uh, like a, a gluttony phase, I guess I could call it. Um, so there's just like, like the, the hunger is a big one, right? Listening to the biofeedback. What are you getting? How is your recovery? Are you still increasing training volume in terms of like uh, not necessarily volume, but 
are reps increasing? Are you able to kind of push more? How, how are you still recovering well? So generally I pay attention to a lot of biofeedback and I ask them to report like objective metrics on that so I can track those week to week. And then I want subjective information on that as well. So if they report, let's say they report their hungers at like a seven, I want them to explain, give me some like subjective uh, context around that as well. I like it, man. I like it. I want to be respectful of your time, dude, and I know that we are about at the top of the hour here. Before we end this conversation around nutrition for hypertrophy, was there anything else that you wanted to add? Yeah, I guess one last thing. It's not so much nutrition related. Um, so sorry that I'm kind of taking a detour. But one thing is if you are, if your goal really is hypertrophy, depending on where your training has coming from, like maybe making sure you're moving into some more hypertrophy type ranges. So if you're only doing like five by fives with everything, maybe switch it up, add some in the 10, 10 to 12 rep range, maybe add some in the like 12 to 15, uh, just to kind of get the most out of that. Um, and just, that, I would say that too. That's something that people will say like, oh, well, I'm, you know, doing, you know, some pretty much like pretty overwhelmingly, uh, weighted strength program, but they're like, Oh, I'm doing it for hypertrophy. I'm like, well, it's, it's not the greatest hypertrophy plan. So uh, just kind of make the best efforts out of your time and commitment, making sure that you're actually following like something in hypertrophy ranges or, or, or a blend of them all is going to really help you out. Um, I've been sleep. And that's, that is another very good point. I, I couldn't agree more, dude. I think that that's, I think the client I'm typically most hesitant to bring on is someone that wants to run their own training and I don't know what that looks like, but then I'm just going to run their nutrition for a building phase specifically because then it's so much, that is very much like, Hey, these two things have to be synergistic. Like we can fuel you most optimally, but the nutrition isn't actually going to create this growth unless you're first hitting your body with the proper stimulus. So we're just going to be so dependent on your training as well. So that's, that's a great context to add that I honestly didn't think about through this entire conversation. Um, before I let you go, man, can you just tell everyone where they can find you and anything at all you would like to plug? Yeah. So, um, you can find me on Instagram at Aaron underscore Straker. Um, you can find me at my website, which is Straker nutrition company and uh, strakernutritionco.com. You can also find me and, uh, Brian on our podcast, uh, which is called eat train prosper. And, uh, with that guys, thanks for having me. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hope I was able to share some value for you guys. Dope. Thank you for being here, man.